Over the past three weeks, we've been talking about biblical baptism. And what we mean by that is, what does the Bible teach and what are we imitating from Scripture as Christians when it comes to this subject of baptism? And what we've said over and over again is, we need to know what you're saying when you say baptize. You as a Christian, uh, when we talk about it together, a lot of times we find that people are using the same words from different dictionaries, right? And so what we want to do is make sure we're talking about the same thing when we say baptize. And where we started on this study was to say that baptism should always include these two elements. There's an element of repentance and an element of sanctification. Now, those are great big Christianese words. And if you came in here today and you don't have your Christian dictionary in front of you, let me make it simple. Repentance means turning one from from one thing, pivoting, and going in a different direction. That's repentance. So if you've had a problem with alcohol, it's saying, done, go in this direction, not using alcohol anymore. If you've got a problem with profanity all the time and it's saying, stop, go another direction, and that's not coming out of my mouth anymore. If you have a temper problem, you start to see what I'm saying. Repentance is stopping, going in a different direction. And baptism is that signifying, defining moment. The other thing is this issue of sanctification. That's just a good old English word that means this, set aside for a special purpose. That's it not a scary word. Sanctification really just means at baptism, you're understanding that you've been set aside now for a specific and a special purpose, a holy purpose. And so this defining moment of baptism should be the point in your life where you can look back to and remember or look forward to and be excited about if if it's coming, that moment when you have died to life on earth, you are coming up out of the water, a new person dedicated to Jesus Christ and going a new direction with him. That's what baptism needs to be for each and every one of us who call ourselves Jesus followers. Now, because we are a Reformed and a biblically-centered church, we believe strongly in the authority uh, and the the completeness of Scripture. We said there are seven baptisms that we see in Scripture, not just seven occasions of people being baptized, but there's seven baptisms that are alluded to or spoken of across God's holy word. And we understand that what's in the Bible is true, and it's there for us to understand both the nature and the desire of the heart and the will of God and His call upon our life. So as we go back to the scriptures, we needed to understand what were those seven types and what in fact is the one type that those of us that are spoken of, uh, the one which believers are obligated to participate in. What is the single one? And what we determined last week through our study was that baptism in the name of Jesus Christ is the baptism that all of us who are called by Jesus Christ and following him are obliged to follow in, and that is baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's where we had uh, ended our, our message last week, and what we want to do today is pick up and go forward with these three topics. <clears throat> and of course, they're, they're the ones that raise a lot of the questions, and so I figure we better talk about them, right? The first one is, is baptism an ordinance or a sacrament? Again, big Christianese words, we'll talk about it, don't, don't fear the vocabulary, we got this. The second is this matter of child members or believers, who exactly gets baptized? So what's it convey? Who gets baptized? And the third question we want to look at are these methods, or I'll call them modes of baptism, ways in which we conduct baptism. So we'll look at those three today, and hopefully by the time we're done, you'll either have your questions answered, or you'll have crystallized the question you want to ask in your life group, perhaps, or sending the pastor or the elders an email if you just have a question. I can't quite grasp it. We're more than happy to engage that this week. Okay, we ready? 
All right, here we go. Number one, sacrament or ordinance. Okay, the real question is, does the ritual convey or communicate repentance and salvation? Let's be honest. Baptism is a ritual, okay? There's no getting around that. It is a tactile thing that we do that demonstrates to people it is a ritualized action. How many of you regularly get wet? It's not a trick question. I'm hoping you bathe. The people around you are hoping you've bathed. It's a shower. It's a bath. It's a pool. Somebody jump in the bay. We get wet regularly. Why does this matter any differently? If you've run through the rain, you've gotten wet. So why is this different? Because it's a ritual. And the thing about rituals are they convey meaning. And we need to understand what that meaning is. Now, I understand in in a group of people like this today... First service, second service, those of you who watch online, here's what I know for certain. Some of you come from Generation X, like me, which means we're skeptical of everything, ritual or otherwise. You call yourself religious? Hmm, let's watch a while. Huh, you say you were baptized? I wonder what that really means. Let's test you. If you come from the millennial generation, you're like, it doesn't matter what all of you did before. We've got our own way. And so whatever you did before is clearly wrong, and we'll show you how to do it right. And so if you're from the Z generation, you're sitting there kind of going, I have no idea what you're talking about because nobody's ever explained this. You just assumed it. So show me what the meaning is and I can get behind that. And if you're from that baby boomer generation, you have got your weapons ready to come out and fight over the mode of baptism that that person did or you did or you did because yours is wrong and ours is the only right one and we're ready to go to war over it. So here's what we got to grasp. None of those positions need to be brought to this. What we want to do is go back to the Scripture, find out what the Scripture had to say, and apply that today. Who's in? Okay, that's how we'll approach it wherever you come. So let's start with this issue. First of all, let me tell you where we're going to be answering some of this from. There is a spectacular resource. It's by Tim Chalice, and it's at this website. Now, you can either take a pick right now. I'll get out of the way, so it's a good pick. There you go, if you want the resource. Or you can check on the website this next week, and Charlie's going to make sure we put a link to this uh, so you can access this article. He does a brilliant job on the difference between an ordinance and a sacrament. The Westminster Confession also does a great job of discussing the ordinance or the sacrament difference, and it defines who we are and what we believe. Let me make it super simple for everybody, though. An ordinance is something that we say it's a special act, which is a declaration to everyone around you of a decision that's already been made in your heart, okay? It's a special act to everyone around you, signifying a decision that's already been made in your heart. That's what we call an ordinance. So um, a sacrament, on the other hand, understands that the act itself is sacred and commanded, and by doing so, it actually brings with it a result. That would be a sacrament. So if you are coming from the Baptist tradition, as I did, uh, and I have, and still largely identify with, for us, baptism is an ordinance. And what it means is this decision has already been made between me and Jesus that today I want to begin following Christ. I'm coming to Jesus as I am, where I am, and I'm saying today is a time of repentance and, and wanting to be set aside for a specific purpose, and I identify with Jesus, I'm being baptized in his name, and I'm wanting everyone else to know that as obedience. If you come 
come from other traditions, maybe our Lutheran or our Catholic or Episcopalian or even some parts of the Reformed tradition, to you, the act itself is sacred in the fact that by doing so, your faith now becomes effective. And by doing it, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell with you now and moving forward because you have obeyed him and it's this moment of turning. Here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to leave that a great open question for everybody, but I want you to understand this. It's a sacred act that signifies obedience and a demonstration to the world around you that you are following Jesus Christ. It's interesting the way brothers and sisters who love Jesus Christ and are committed to his word will fight about, argue about, and differ on this particular subject. It's okay. We're not going to have a holy war in Sturgeon Bay over this. But what I do want you to understand is what you believe and why. So I'll challenge you one way or the other. If you're into the sacrament or you're into the ordinance, make sure you research, study that, and are clear with what God has led you to believe. But I want to give you an example, an example that I think will help you make your decision as to what's actually taking place. And to do that, I want to use two classic examples, the exit sign and the diploma, right? No? Do I need to explain this? All right, here we go. So let's say we're looking around the room, and if you do so now, you can see a few of them. You see it right over here, the exit sign, and there's one back there and one back there, and I'm sure the fire department would like seven more, but we've got those, and we know where they are. So imagine a fire is broken out. The room is full of smoke, and you need to get the honk out of here. And so you run up, and you see exit sign, and you see the sign. There it is. It says exit. That's the exit. And so you take a ladder, and you get up there, and you do all you can to get that sign off the wall and rub it on you and hold it and look at the sign really hard because you've got the exit, right? Don't look at me like I'm a goofball. Think about this. What's going to happen if you hold on tight to that sign and say, but I've got my exit. I've put it on my head. I've rubbed around on it. I've stood on it. I've shown it to people. I've got my exit. What's going to happen? You're going to die badly because it's hot when there's a fire and the smoke doesn't work in our lungs. That's not going to work. The exit sign indicates and points to something. Ooh. So now I know, ooh, if I go there, that points to and, and tells me where the exit is. But it's the exit that brings salvation, not the exit sign. Boom. All done. Got to go. Okay. Now, the, the other one we can think about is a diploma. Now, how many of you have ever gotten a diploma? Most of you can raise your hand. Come on. Dude, you got out of high school. You're with me. Okay. You got out of middle school. We give them for elementary school nowadays. Dog training. Okay. We've got a diploma. What the diploma, the piece of paper itself, okay, does not make you smarter just because you're holding a piece of paper, does it? Holding the piece of paper does not make you wiser or more capable. It's what the paper represents. It represents the study and the discipline and the training and the self. It represents you've learned how to think. You've learned how to process information. You've put the information in your brain so that now you can go out and learn how to put it to work. Anybody who's in management or leadership will understand what I'm about to say. There's people who've got a great resume, and they ain't no good, right? Just because you graduated high school does not make you a skilled employee. Just because you got that trade school degree or you got that bachelor's degree don't make you good at what you do. It means you got the knowledge you need to learn how to put the knowledge into place, right, managers and bosses? Anybody with me? Okay, so... Here's the deal. The paper 
represents something. It is an affirmation of something, right? It's the indicator that you have come to a place and understood and changed on the inside, and this is indicating it to everyone else who will ever ask. So if you walk around somebody's office and you see on their wall the degrees that are lined up, what it's saying is they have done the diligence and the work, and those demonstrate who that person has become or who they are. Baptism to the Christian is this. It's an opportunity to say a change has occurred in my heart, and this is my demonstration to the world around me. It isn't salvation baptism, but it's the way that demonstrates to others. It points to the way. It indicates. It shows you the way that salvation comes to people, and that's through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the difference between ordinance and sacraments. Now, how you want to work that out? is what you're going to do with fear and trembling, awe and, and, and honor within your Christian relationships and what your understanding of it means. So that's where we start with, that is ordinance or sacrament. The next question we need to ask is who gets baptized? And so what we're saying, who gets baptized and what does it mean? A child? Uh, do you do it just so you can be a member? Or do we only baptize believers? Do we baptize everybody? Uh, so this is the question, what, what really does it mean when we baptize? And so to do that, I have an illustration I think will make sense for all of you. And I've got this one person at three different stages of life. Don't analyze the pictures. Just trust me. It's the same person on Bing. They're just at different ages. And that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Okay, so, so let's, start, let's start with her somewhere in her early 20s, okay? So she's early 20s. She loves Jesus Christ. She is a follower of Christ. She understands the gospel. She understands what it means to be a disciple. And she's made a decision. I am going to follow Jesus Christ with all my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength. And in fact, I'm coming today to demonstrate to everyone around me that I am a Jesus follower. Now, church, let's be the jury. Will we baptize a person with that testimony? Heck yeah, because that's about as perfect a testimony as you could possibly ask for. And so we would absolutely say, join us. We're going to do this next Sunday at, at, at Sunset Park. And we're going to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You'll be buried with him in baptism and raised to walk in a whole new life. And everybody's going to clap, and we're going to go, woo, and hooting and hollering, and the music plays, and the drums go, and we're, yes, that's baptism. But let's take it back a ways. Let's say she's 10. She's 10, and she comes and she says, I believe that Jesus really is God's son, and I want to be a Christian. I want to live this life for Jesus. I want to identify with him. Today I'm saying I am a Christian, and I want to follow in that. Will we baptize that 10-year-old? Heck yeah. You know why? Because just like Jesus said in the Great Commission, she's a disciple who wants to be baptized and then be taught to observe all things as he's commanded. Everybody put every other thought out of your mind for just a second and listen carefully. Jesus Christ finished his earthly ministry with this statement. Right before he left, you hear me? This is the last thing he's saying before he leaves. If you're going away forever, for a long time, or not coming back, all right? And the last thing you're going to say to your family, to your friends, to your coworkers, to your employees, the last thing you say is the most important thing, a culminating statement of your entire ministry in life. And, you, and here's what Jesus had to say. Go make disciples of all the nations baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and 
teach them to observe all the things I've commanded you. And I'm going to be with you all the way through the end of this very age. That's a progression. Make disciples, baptize them, and then teach them how to be Jesus followers. When that 10-year-old comes and says, I love Jesus, I want to be a Christian, I'm not going to sit down with her and go, okay, now, I have this theology book. It's 409 pages, and what I'm going to ask you is a series of questions. If you answer them accurately, it'll be good. We're also going to do a test now and talk to 300 people who know you, and we're going to ask them how you've been living. Did you eat your peas? Because Jesus would have you eat your peas. Have you disobeyed your parents in the last six months? How many times? Jesus would have you obey your parents. We can't baptize you because you're not flawless and perfect. No. What we're saying is, have you come to a point where you acknowledge Jesus as your Lord and Savior and want to follow him? Let's do this. But now let's ask the question. Look at that incredibly cute little kid over there on the far side. Look at that little dress and those shoes. Come on, that's cute as a button. Are we going to baptize her? Here's the question. Has she come to a point in her life where she said, I understand that Jesus is God. He came, he dwelt among us for the forgiveness of sins. I want to identify as Jesus. I want to be raised in a Christian home. I want to learn how to all the stories of Jesus, and I want to follow him for the rest of my life. Is a baby able to do that? No. So see, here's the difference. The difference between a child and a baby is that a child can't understand who Jesus is and what it means to be a Christian and to make a decision, a choice to follow Jesus Christ. So here's what we say at Sturgeon Bay Community Church. We're going to say it together. Ready? We dedicate babies and baptize believers. Because, ladies and gentlemen at this church, we believe very strongly that when Christian families have, Christian, have, have children, they should be raised in a Christian home surrounded by a Christian family who demonstrate to that child from day one what it is to love them and follow Jesus Christ. And every Sunday morning at this church downstairs in Kid Zone, we have teachers and volunteers and crafts and music and games that are all centered around this. Teaching children about Jesus and his word so that a day will come that those children are going to realize, I want to follow Jesus, and they're going to make that proclamation, I want to be a Christian, I want to follow Jesus in baptism. And we're going to say, yes, because you understand at this level what it is to follow Jesus. Am I going to go get Wayne Grudem's systematic theology and sit down with that nine-year-old and walk her through it? No, we're going to start teaching them appropriately at that age and forward. Hey, let me ask you another question. What do you think happens on Wednesday nights up here at Sturgeon Bay Community Church? Yeah, the most dynamic student ministry north of Green Bay, and I would argue is a rival of most of what's happening in Green Bay, goes on at this church, and teenagers are learning about the gospel of Jesus and how the doctrine plays out in their real-life lives right now. We are discipling people to become Jesus followers, and we're making Jesus followers more inclined to follow Jesus in every aspect of their life because that's what Jesus said. Go make disciples, baptize them, and then teach them. So when a person comes and wants to be baptized, we baptize somebody who says, I'm willing to follow Jesus from this point forward. We do not have a checklist that says perfect people only getting baptized. What we're saying is people who are willing to say, this is a defining moment in my life. 
I'm going to follow Jesus Christ from here forward. That's who we baptize. Understanding? Okay. And then the next question that gets really complicated is the method. Okay? Is one mode or method the right method of baptism? So is there one that's right and the others that are wrong? Now, right now we're thinking, well, maybe. But the reality is there's three distinct ways that people are baptized here in in the Christian world, around the world today. And all three of those are slightly different. And so the questions come, if I was baptized that way, is my baptism legit or do I need to redo it real quick? Um, Or or if they do it that way at that church and we do it this way, who's wrong? When we go to lunch, who gets to be right? Because whoever's right doesn't have to pay the tab. You know, we get to argue it out, I win, and then we have an apologetics conference and fight to the death, and then I'm the Christian who beat the other Christian. Whoa, whoa, hang on. So let's look at the modes and see what they really mean. First of all, um, looking at the different ways, branches of the what? Can you see it up there? Branches of what kind of faith? The Christian faith practice the ordinance or sacrament of water baptism. Well, first of all, the word baptism is a borrowed word. Let's be honest. It's not an English word. It's a Greek word that we've borrowed. And the Greek word literally means to dip or to immerse down into. I gave everybody an example last week. I gave a bunch of them actually, but one of the examples I used um, was at boys camp when, when I was a younger kid and then all the way up and through my teen years, one of the things I loved to do was go to this lake we had out there. It was called Moose Lake or Far Lake. And uh, it, in the evenings, after everybody had kind of gone to sleep in the cabins, the staff members were free. And one of the things I used to love to do is go out to Moose Lake. It is an artesian lake, so it's perfectly clear. It's cold, and it's about 20, 15, 20 feet deep. I used to take the little neoprene brick, and I would just drop down in the lake, and I would just, just kind of sink down, and I could look up from that sandy bottom, and it was silent. I was completely immersed in that water. All the world just disappeared around me, and I could look up after it settled, and I could see stars and the moon and the little bubbles going up as I would, as I would exhale just slightly. And then when I came up out of the water, I would hear all the sounds again. It just seemed so loud and alive, the world, after being down in the lake. I had been completely immersed. I was gone. And that's the, that's the baptizio, is to be dipped into, it's to immerse into that lake. But let's look at the methods or modes of baptism that people practice. The first one is called aspersion. Aspersion literally means to sprinkle or to spread a substance on a surface. You might even think paint. You might think splatter. Uh, anybody remember splatter painting, this big craze they had back in the late 80s, early 90s? What a terrible idea that was. But, but, the, but the idea is this, and we see it scripturally in the children of Israel when they are told to take the blood of the lamb on Passover and to asperse that over the lintel and the doorposts of their homes, and the angel would pass over those houses uh, but bring death to those who were not under the blood. They were not represented by or covered in the blood. That was an aspersion of blood. Um, um, aspersion is also demonstrated notably and importantly by Moses when, they, when he uh, sanctified, uh, consecrated the people of Israel in the blood of the sacrifice. 
Moses took a hyssop branch and wrapped wool around it, and he dipped that in the blood of the sacrifice, and he, sp- he sprinkled and sprayed that blood on the tabernacle, on the people, on the scripture, on the, the Ten Commandments, on all who would come by and their animals and their households, and they, were, they, they came under the covering of that covenant, that covenant in blood. This aspersion is also referred to in First Peter, when Peter, speaking to the Hebrew people, says, you are God's chosen people, you were aspersed in the blood. In other words, you were baptized under that blood. And so everyone who has that blood under them is now under the covenant and is recognized as the people of God. And so this word is an historic reference. And so what it means is it is pointing back to something that happened that defined who you are today. So that is aspersion baptism. And the big question is, where do we see that in the scriptures? We see it in the Old Testament at a place at a time. What we don't see in the New Testament is aspersion being used anywhere. For Christians, for Christ followers, it simply doesn't exist. But that does not mean that it can't be used. So the question we ask, number one, is if my baptism was by aspersion, is my baptism legitimate? And we'll answer that in just a few moments. The second type of baptism is called effusion. Effusion is just a great word for pouring. And what it carries with it meaning-wise in, in its Latin origin and to some extent in the way the Greeks used it is this idea of washing off or covering. And so where in the scripture do we see this type of baptism being demonstrated amongst Christians? Well, the short answer is, is nowhere. We don't see that in scripture, but be careful. Attacking a mode is not fair when the meaning behind the mode is righteous to the receiver and the audience. So what we started to see in the third century particular was, a, was this effusion baptism starting to take place. And here's why Christian brothers and sisters started to do this. They were making an association from Acts 2.17, this issue of pouring out, this issue of coming and covering as a result of being poured out. And you'll recognize that in the concept of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the people of God. And so the pouring out or the baptizing of the Holy Spirit is when is this image of being covered and it's coming from a basin, from a place and washing over all those who would be the people of God. And so this, this, this style or this mode of effusion or pouring baptism came from that. Their direct linkage for people who practice this is the pouring out of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost because that is precisely the word that's used there in Acts uh, 1, 5 through 8, as well as in Acts chapter 10. And so it's an understanding of the pouring or the covering of people who are the people uh, of God. So when we think about effusion or pouring baptism, uh, the branches of the Christian faith that practice that, they are saying it is a covering, a pouring over of the Holy Spirit onto people. And through that, they're identifying with Jesus Christ. So that's effusion baptism. So then the question that we ask about effusion is this, the second of our questions. If I was baptized by effusion, is my baptism legitimate? Hold on, and we'll come to that in just a couple of moments. The last method of baptism or mode of baptism is known as immersion. Now, I grew up Baptist, and this is the only one I ever heard of as a kid. I never heard of any other sort of them. So it was quite a strange thing to me to have some Lutheran friends who had talked about how they had had water poured. And they were, what are you talking about? You're supposed to be immersed. So I didn't know there was a difference. Here's the thing about immersion baptism. 
Immerse means to submerge in completely and to be surrounded within. So that's the immersion. And so where do we see immersion in Scripture? Well, in Mark 6, uh, sorry, Romans 6, Mark 1, and Acts 8, uh, in the entire historic record of the early church is baptism by immersion. There's a picture up here that's pretty neat. Uh, and it's from a church, I believe it was in Antioch. It might be Ephesus, but I think it's Antioch. If you know, just, you know, yay for you. Uh, but here's this, this baptismal pool. It turns out that all of the early churches that were able to find and excavate in the ancient world, they have these baptistries or baptismal pools in them. And as you can see, people will go down into the pool and they practiced immersion baptism. And for them, most of them were shaped with the form or the images of the cross. And the idea is that you are being buried with Christ. Christ in, in, in death, in the grave, and then raised to newness of life. And there's a, there's a demonstration in this act that you, like Jesus, are joining with him in dying to self, being dead, and being resurrected and coming into a whole new life. So this is the immersion type of baptism that the early church practiced almost exclusively in the first and second centuries. It really isn't until the third century we start seeing examples of effusion and aspersion baptism. The other part about this that's interesting is that it imitates the baptism of Jesus. It imitates going down into the Jordan River and being baptized and then coming up out of the river. We see this with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch in the book of Acts where he wants to be baptized. He says, here's water. Why not me? They go down into the water. He's baptized. He comes back up out of the water. So there's this idea of immersion being the most biblical uh, imitator. And all of these, whether, whether it's the, the, the immersion, whether it's the aspersion or effusion, the big question is this. Was it done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as an outward symbol of an inward transition? Is it an indicator to all around you of who you are, a defining moment in your life from now going forward? So the question about a fusion, that is, that is to say the pouring, the aspersion, that is to say the sprinkling, or the immersion, that is to say the dunking going all the way under, coming back up, in all three methods... Can we ask this question, is it done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Did it outwardly demonstrate an inward decision? And did it identify you with the people of the Lord Jesus Christ? Would all three methods do that? They sure can, folks. The big question is, at the time it was done, did it mean that? to you and to the people watching. In each one of those situations, I want to tell you as your pastor, if you were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and understood what you were doing and the people there understood what was going on, your baptism's great. You don't need to get reimmersed if you were aspersed as, as, as a child who understood what you were doing. But the big question follows that, doesn't it? That really big question comes up and it says... Do you understand? Did you understand at the time of your baptism, at that defining moment, what it is to repent and to start a new life in Jesus Christ? Because the challenge I would put to you is this. If you didn't understand it, if it didn't mean anything to you, it doesn't matter. And you didn't follow in an act of obedience as Jesus commanded. You were simply subjected to something on someone else's behalf. Does that make it wicked? No. Because a dedication and a sanct setting somebody aside to be raised in the faith and raised in the church so that they would come to hear and understand the gospel of Jesus and be able to act on it, that is a wonderful testimony. But you need to take the obedience step on your own, that defining moment 
of repenting and identifying with Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Okay, so we've talked about those three things today. The ordinance or sacrament, who do we baptize, and the methods of baptism. And I would hope that after having covered all of those, the invitation would stand and the moment would be exciting when next week we as a church won't gather here, but at 10 o'clock we will gather at Sunset Park for our annual baptism service. I can tell you with no reservation or parsing of words, this is the most exciting service we do all year. It is a blast. Not only is it exciting to be able to celebrate with people when they're baptized, but the food is great, the games are great, the fellowship is great. It is an exciting moment every year, and I hope you're marking your calendar. Let me ask you to join me in prayer, and we're going to spend a few minutes with our Lord before we close today.